Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Selective Hearing. I am your host, Julie DeMar, and today I want to speak with you all about change. And my guest here is going to help me in this beautiful conversation. Today, I am with Nancy Nugari. Nancy is a coach and a healer who believes in change just as much as I do. So hi, Nancy. How are you today? I'm well, Julie. I'm well, thank you. Can you tell us a little about yourself and how you got started in helping people and what helped you like really commit to embracing change? Okay, a little bit about me. I am born and raised in Africa. I was born and raised in Kenya and I'm currently in Germany where I've been based for over 25 years. That's on the personal side of who I am. Let's see, I am a believer, which means I see life through the lens of faith in Jesus. So influences a lot of, you know, it might influence our conversation or just the way I see life. I see life through the lens of a believer. And on a professional level, I am a consultant. I'm a trainer and I'm a coach and a published author. And my background professionally is in sales and marketing. About 15 years ago, I closed my physical bookshop here in Germany. And then I ventured into the coaching, the freelancing and the online world. And it's, let's say it's constant change. It's, it's like growth and it's always, you know, navigating the ups and downs of being an immigrant black woman living in Germany. And of course, change is just part of it. There's no way. I mean, it started with me moving here, which was change. So by default, it's just part of something I embrace or I've learned to embrace positively. Okay. So I didn't ask you this during, um, pre-interview, but do you speak German? Yes, I speak yeah, fluently yeah. German. Yes, yes. Yes, yeah, that's cool. Yes. I do still feel insecure sometimes, especially in professional settings, because German is a very rich language. And so especially when you're nervous, you know, it's easy to kind of think in English. So I do sometimes get the places where I, you know, stammer and have a blackout. But I speak German. There's no other way. I had to learn how to speak German to navigate life here. What motivated you to go to Germany? Because like that's a that's a part of change. So it's like I'm going to leave the place that I I, I know and I'm going to go somewhere else. But it's not like you went to an, another a country within your continent or even like another state. You went to a completely different country. What what made you change and say it's going to be Germany? Okay. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's maybe first start with discovering my love of discovering traveling or just seeing different worlds besides Kenya, where I was born and raised. When I turned 20, you know, we could get a passport. And so when I got a passport, I went to visit some old friends who were living in England. They had moved to England. I had a girlfriend who had gotten married in England. So at the age of 20, I went to visit her. And the impression that just this traveling had on me, I was kind of hooked already to just seeing life through different cultures and different people. It was um, it was summer back then. And in Kenya, the, you know, the sun rises at a particular time and it sets like clockwork by seven. It's, you know, completely pitch dark. But it was summer in Europe. And I remember we were like in the Piccadilly circles, like outside somewhere in London. And it's nine o'clock and there was sun and people are out having fun. And I thought, this is different. You know, the day is longer and it's more fun. And I've never forgotten the impression of that traveling, what it had on me. But then back to Germany, why I came here. I came here because of a relationship and uh, we moved then to Germany with my then boyfriend who was who became my husband because of his work. We moved here 
And that's how I ended up, you know, staying in this country. The marriage did end. Hello, change. But I stayed on and um, it's been an interesting journey. <laughs> it continues to be an interesting journey. I did relocate back to Kenya for a few years, but then I came back again. So that was my motive for moving here. I'll, um, I'll share a story with you. I actually moved for my husband. He was my boyfriend at the time. And I, <laughs> I moved away to California from like right. my family and everything. I went away to California because I was going to be a huge movie star. I went to Los Angeles and while I was living in Los Angeles, I was having like a very hard time. And I mm. met my husband when I came home to visit one weekend. So like some of our right. friends like, introduced us on a blind date. And so when I went back to California, wow. he was kind of like, you should just come home for the summer and hang out, spend time with me. And then like, really think about what you want to do next. And then he was like, and if going back at the end of the summer is what you want to do, then go back. And that was 15 years ago. So, <laughs> and now we, <laughs> we're married, we have two kids and the rest is history. But I, I went into a big change. I came home, experience changed, went back, came back, changed again. And I was so afraid that if I did not go back, that I was going to miss something or I wasn't going to be able to grow in my career in the way that I thought that I should. And I actually ended up receiving more opportunities by staying at home than I was when I was actually in California. It was it was definitely something that was worth making a change for, obviously. Right. And see, what you've just said is interesting, that change is never predictable. You know, we just have to roll with it, you know. We never know what's really going to happen. You went, you know, there thinking that's going to be the thing for your career, end up having a tough time, came back. And obviously that did something to your inside, you know, to the, the internal you. But it's really interesting how you know, how change works out, you know? For sure. I was like, at the end of that summer, I was like, I don't want to leave. Why I ended up having more opportunities is Michigan became a tech, a film tax incentive state. So mm. it made movies come here because they got to film here for less. And a requirement of being able to film in tax incentive states is you have to hire a certain amount of people that are residents of those states. So leaving L.A. put me in a, a smaller talent pool, which actually right. gave me more opportunities to be in movies. And I got to work with some pretty cool people on some pretty cool movies and television shows here. Right. That makes sense because L.A., then obviously you are not the only one thinking I'm going to move to the greener pastures and I'm going to, you know, find, have my big break. There's thousands of other people who are thinking the same. So I imagine it's over. There's a lot of competition. Like you said, it's like saturated. There's a lot of people wanting the same thing so it makes sense that in um, michigan you, you had more opportunities sometimes the grass is not always green on the other side you know no. <laughs> sometimes to water the one you know water our side and then it's just as green and, and sometimes it is greener so it's really just um yeah it's not black and white it's gray in between mm, i always say that and like i've heard like yeah uh, it's not linear you know, you kind of just move all side to side, up and down. It just, there's never just one direction. You mentioned in the beginning, like that you're, you're driven by your faith. So how has your faith helped you through this process? Because we also know like change, like I just said, comes with many different obstacles. Mm, mm. That's a good question. I would like to reframe the driven part. I'm no longer driven. I'm more led. 
So um, my faith leads me because driven uh, makes me think of me putting in a lot of effort, you know, something pushing me. You know, when you're driven, it's like something is pushing you from behind. It's driving you. But when you're being led, it's like a river. A river just it maneuvers through, you know, it's just naturally going towards the bigger pool. You know, a river is ultimately going to end up in an ocean. So it's, it's not really driven. It's just flowing, you know. And as far as my faith, it really helps me with change as in I know that I'm not trying to navigate things on my own strength with my limited wisdom, with my limited resources, with my limited strength. You know, being a, um, an immigrant, you know, living here, it comes with extra hurdles, it comes with extra setbacks. And I know that, you know, where I am or wherever I might be, despite the up and down, I could not have done that on my own. I'm not that smart. I'm not that talented. I did put a lot of effort, you know, and I, I uh, believed in, you know, working hard and hustling, which I no longer do at all. But it really helps. My faith really helps in being able to lean back on a bigger plan and very importantly to trust that even when things don't work out the way I want, the way I expected, the way I envisioned them, to trust that there's a bigger plan and it's all gonna be well, you know, God's gonna work it all for my good. There's been a lot of, I've had a lot of challenges, some really very difficult moments, but in the middle of that difficult change, being able to see a bigger picture and think, okay, God, I don't understand this. I don't see, it doesn't make sense to me and this is not okay but I'm going to trust you that there's a bigger good that's going to come out of all this. So that has really, really helped me. That's really helped me. And also just stepping out and doing something, aka change, you know, like the bookshop I opened, I had no capital. I had never done like, you know, training on opening a bookshop. How do you run a bookshop? You know, where do you get the books from? How does that all work? I had no idea, but he directs and leads me. And that is so important. That's why faith in um, having faith in Jesus is crucial for me. I couldn't do it without him. <laughs> yeah. I really truly believe that, especially like there's there's days where like or that I like call like my reflection days where I just think about like everything and it's like I know for a fact that I wouldn't be here. I would not be able to have these conversations. I wouldn't be able to do any of the things that I do if I didn't have faith. Mm. And I know like especially some of the hardships that I've experienced in life, like that was not me that brought me through that. There are like sure. many days where I look back like wow like how did I get through that and it's like I know I didn't do it on my own there's no like of course like like you said like I did the work and you know I didn't just lay down and not make sure that I pushed myself through but I know I most definitely had help <laughs> mm, mm, I most beautiful. definitely did Yes. And we all need some help, you know, and um, I think we all need some help. Sometimes we're looking for other human beings to be that help, but there's nothing like divine help, you know, somebody who transcends the human help that can sometimes be conditional or it can fail us because, you know, people are people. And um, I'm glad you share that perspective too. It's great. When we had our pre-interview, we were talking about like how change is constant. One thing that is going to be consistent in life is change. So can you like elaborate on that? Like I know we had this beautiful conversation, everyone. And like, I want you to hear what she said because it's, I felt so inspired by the end of it. Yes. Oh, Julie, the only thing that consistent in life is change, change, taxes and death. I left out the taxes and the death part, but 
change it's consistent i mean we look look at nature you know when we look at nature and the seasons of of nature it's consistent it's going to be morning and then it's going to be night it's going to be midday and then it's going to be night it's going to be a new moon and then it's at some point it's going to be a full moon and then it's going to be a cycle again it's going to be summer and then spring and then autumn or fall and winter and it's just it's consistent, you know, and that's as far as nature is concerned. You know, it teaches us that change is consistent. That's the only thing that's consistent. But on, on a human side, when we look at our lives from the womb, when we're conceived to the tomb, when we are laid to rest, it's just change one season after the other. You know, you didn't exist and then your parents came together and then you were conceived. That was change. Your mother started changing. Her belly started showing. And you're inside there. You started changing, developing, you know, the in, hidden in a beautiful place in there. Your body's changing when you think about it from, from a seed, you know, into a, a full, perfect human being. And then you get born. You're like thrust into the world. We come out kicking and crying and screaming because it was warm in there. And what is this? Who are this? What's this cold place and this glaring light, you know? That's the next change that we're exposed to. And then it goes from there, you know. We, st we stop, um, we're not nursing anymore. We're introduced to a bottle and then we start to learn to chew. We get teeth, you know, it's just change. It's consistent. There's no way, you know, up until the tomb, up until, you know, we're laid to rest. It's just one change after the other. Yet we, we resist it or we fight it so hard, but it's part of life. It's just part of life. And if we could see it that way, maybe it could make things easier. On the other side, I'm not sure we actually, it's supposed to be easy. I don't think it's supposed to be easy. That's, we can do hard things and life is part of hard things. And I'm getting ahead of myself because that also then builds our resilience. You know, change is not a negative thing. It, it is a hard thing. <laughs> There's nothing easy about change. I would be lying if I said, oh, you know, it's just embrace it. It's going to be all, you know, rainbows and, and, you know, butterflies. I mean, think about a child when they start learning to walk, they fall and they cry and they hurt themselves. And as a mother, you're like, oh, baby, come here. Let mommy kiss the, you know, but you're not going to try and hold that child and let it not learn to walk, not hurt itself, because you know, the survival of that child depends on it learning how to walk and on the inside of that child it it gets up and tries again you know after crying and it, its mind registered ouch that hurt but something inside it tells it like mommy's walking and brother's walking this is what i'm supposed to do so and they don't cry when they're walking and so on the inside it's wired to get up again and grow out of the crawling into the walking and that's painful <laughs> it's mm -hmm. painful you know no baby ever started learning to walk without crying. I don't think so. Maybe there is one that, but it's rare. You know, that's not the norm. My son Zion like went straight from crawling into like climbing and yeah. like he started pulling up and climbing on. He still climbs, mm -hmm. but he like pulling up and climbing on stuff and then walking across those objects that he climbed on top of. And yeah. then he graduated to jumping off. I always say like the, the two, like Elijah is more cautious. Mm -hmm. and he he's more there's thought that goes into both things that they do but he's more cautious he's more like let's think this through maybe we shouldn't jump off of that maybe we should just sit on it that's the way he thinks and right. zion is like no let's jump okay <laughs> okay like and i like, watching them even watching how they change because they're they're so different 
watching how they've grown, watching how they change, like from the lens of a mother. Like I always look at Elijah, especially because he just turned five. And I say, wow, like you're five already. The time went by. So like it went by so fast. And I look at pictures and I look at videos because I'm that mom. Mm. millions of pictures vi millions of videos i get like these little um they're they're like memories of the day mm -hmm. to my phone every day where they'll show me a memory from like a year ago all the way up to five years ago of wow. the boys so That's i'll so i just i just i look back at these pictures and these videos and i'm just like amazed by how much they've changed how much they've grown and how much they even continue to change on a daily basis and in that, how like their their characters and their personalities are developing. Mm -hmm. It's it's just a blessing to watch. It's it's actually really amazing to watch that. Yes, and you're probably changing and growing with them too, because you know when other people change around us, especially close people, we also by default, you know. And I like the way you said um, it's it's a blessing to watch them change, and then you say grow, and then you say develop, because that's it. Change is really about growing. And if we can think, okay, I'm growing into something, not like I'm changing, I have to change. I need to change my my diet, or I need to, you know, that sounds so, well, not disempowering, but it, it doesn't sound as smoother as I'm growing into a different nutrition, you know, practices you know and i really like the way you said change growth and develop because that's really what change is it's if we can look at it through that lens it's about adapting a growth mindset and a development mindset i'm a, i'm so passionate about personal development and if we can look at change from that way i'm also preaching to the choir you know sometimes i have to think okay nancy you need to reframe the way you're looking at this so that you can make it easier on yourself and make it easier on your brain you know because like we said change is not easy growth is not easy um development is it's not easy where it's like swimming against a stream mm -hmm. <laughs> stream of life oh goodness especially if you're coming from a place of trauma or something that was a little challenging in life when you're going through these different growth stages it really can feel like you're fighting the tide it, it's like it's like who triggers Ooh, you know, <laughs> this, <laughs> this happened or this happened and trying to like pull yourself back in and acknowledge that and move away from it and into something more productive. That's a really challenging thing to do some days. Mm -hmm. It can be. And sometimes it's even moving through something. Uh, I'll give you a short, a short um, uh, example. I recently, you know, I was watching this lady who I really respect in the personal development world and she was, you know, interviewing somebody and um, the premise of the whole thing was, uh, you know, about love. If somebody has a love deficit, they should go out and serve somebody and do something for somebody because by default, when you do something for someone, then they love you. And I was so, so triggered by that, you know, and I, I had to go back and I stopped it. I was like, no, you know, and I stopped watching that and I had to sit down myself and say okay that was a bit of a dramatic um reaction what's going on here you know and i had to sit with myself and kind of move through that and see what is why 
did that trigger you? You know, because I've learned a trigger is it's really just a sign that there's some healing that needs to be done there. There's something I need to grow out of. You know, it's something a trigger is causes an emotional reaction where either our brains think we're in that situation or we're in danger or we're in a situation that is not safe. You know, so it's trying like to protect us, and that's why this huge reaction. I'm saying that because you said sometimes we want to move away from something, and and sometimes it's good to move away from something, especially if it's dangerous. You know, dangerous people maybe you know toxic people you know sometimes you cannot really be able to move away from them and sometimes you have to move through it so with this situation I had to sit down with myself and in a very gentle way say okay what is happening here and for me I realized I walked through that was like okay I had when I was young I had to cater and 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 you know being parentified, I take care of my parents and my siblings. And so by default, I grew up, you know, as a firstborn, you know, there's a lot expect on the firstborn, take care of your siblings, oh, make sure your brother is okay. And even with my parents, you know, emotional, I was a very sensitive child. So if I would cry and I would see that they are uncomfortable and they would say, you know, it's not so bad, stop crying. I had to stuff down that and just cater to their well-being you know obviously they were doing the best they knew but a child doesn't need to stuff down their feelings so that the parents can be comfortable so i grew up with that thing of i have to make everybody it's my duty to make everybody else feel comfortable and then they will love me back you know i got like the affirmation of a very smart girl you know and i was only applauded and shown love when I performed so this lady saying you know go out and do something for someone so they can love you back it brought back that icky feeling of I have to earn love by doing by taking care of others by being codependent and I'm only acknowledged when I perform and when I show up and I make my parents proud you know then you know as a child you think oh that's the way I earn love and, and the, you know parents are they're being proud of their kids and they are you know acknowledging them but as a child you think okay that's the only way I get like the attention and the love of my parents so so you go through life with that and I'm saying all that to say I had to walk through that and say okay you're not a child anymore and speak to the younger parts and say I'm the grown-up now and we don't have to serve other people we don't have to perform to get love back I can affirm myself I can show myself love and I can also serve other people without expecting them to love me back it's not transactional if I choose to go and someone it's because I'm serving out of a full cup and not out of a deficit where I'm like I'm gonna do this for you will you please love me because that sets up for codependence manipulation and the whole thing but the fact that I was so triggered by that and it took me a few days to process it I just want to come back and say sometimes we have to to move through something I was able to go back and listen to the interview and she had a lot of good points so my big reaction you know <laughs> was a reflection of me because we see things as we are we see the world as we are and not as it is. So I was seeing it through that younger person lens and it hadn't been triggered since I started healing. So that also made me realize, girl, you've grown because you're able to step back and be aware and then walk through that. So the next time I hear something like that, I'm not going to be like, no, it wouldn't feel like a personal attack. Which is what it felt like. Like I stopped the video and I was having like a really big reaction, you know. So I just want to say sometimes we have to move away from triggers and sometimes we have to move through them with a lot of gentleness and compassion and curiosity and change that story because that's what it is literally, you know, the stories that we, we create That just um, made me think like that is like also a perfect example of selective hearing. Mm-hmm. Mm Cause you heard that and you, you had a response to that. 
Yes. Just that little piece. And then you were able to go back later and hear the rest of it. But at that time, you weren't going to be able to because you already had responded to it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And some of these things happen so quickly. You're like, where did that come from? You know, like a small thing. And then we, we react and people are like, what is going on? You know, and sometimes we don't even know what's going on. And then we can shame ourselves. Like, what is wrong with me? Why did I react like that? Instead of just being really compassionate with ourselves first and being curious and say, okay, what is going on? It's not like, what is wrong with you? It's like, what happened to you? What story in there is very tender? It needs to, you know, to be handled with care so that you change that narrative grow into you know so that you can selectively you know next time you're not just hearing what you don't want to hear but you're also hearing what you don't want to hear and it's okay it doesn't trigger you it doesn't doesn't you know like stir up a wound because that wound is now healing maybe there's a scar but it's not a raw wound you know like where you've been putting band-aids on top of so changing at a very cellular level you know at a very cellular very internal level not just the outside you know it may be hard for some to believe, but I used to be extremely reactive. Mm. But I used to just be like, ah. I was that, I'm a talker, obviously. <laughs> so I used to, but my, when the way I used to react would be loud and okay. aggressive with my words. So I used to, as soon as I was in that space, like I used to just go off on people all the time and sometimes it even got it grew into things more aggressive than that like it would become physical because that was what i was used to that's what i grew up in the the response to you was loud and violent so i learned when i started going through my own processes as i was learning about that that actually helped me like learning that about myself helped me learn that when i would see other people doing it i learned not to take it personal i'd be like there's something else there just like there was something there with me. There's something there with them. Now, if it's an extreme situation, I'm, I have to be like, okay, I got to get away from it. <laughs> I don't try to de-escalate or engage in any kind of way. That is what I've learned to be the best thing for me is just to be like, okay, let's table this and revisit it when it's safe. I did learn that, learn how to look at people a certain way. And that came from me looking at my own reactions and responses. Mm, I really like that. Oh, that's so good, Julie, because um, again, we see the world as we are and not as it is. And it's beautiful the way you said by looking at your own responses, being self-aware, you are then able to turn around that compassionate lens and see people also think, okay, there's something else going on here, but it's not my responsibility to try and fix them. I'm going to remove myself from this. So we can have compassion on people and not try to fix them or not try to make things easy for them. And like people say, you know, we can only meet people to the point that we've met ourselves, you know? So the fact that you are able to meet yourself with that you know, self-awareness and see, okay, this is what's going on. And then now you're able to meet somebody else and think, okay, something else is going on in there. I know because I've seen that in myself. And somebody else who hasn't met themselves on that level might not necessarily be able to see the other person who is acting up or being aggressive, or whatever. They might instead just, you know, go off on them. And, and then it becomes this whole thing because both of them are meeting each other at the place they are. 
we can really only meet people to the extent that we've met ourselves and that is so powerful that really taught me a lot too you know to it also helps us not judge other people and be very harsh with them even if they are they they're judges and they're harsh with us because you're thinking i can see what's going on here and you're going to figure it out i figured it out and you will or you will not either way you know i can bless you and love you from a distance yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know, from a distance, yeah. I wanted to talk about how change, because for me, change is like beautiful. Like it has obviously challenges and there's some hardships in there, but it's still beautiful. It's a sign of growth and something better to come. So I wanted to talk about, there's like a negative stigma attached to, to change. And um, just kind of get your perspective on that. Wow, good question. Negative stigma attached to change. I think it comes from society's kind of unspoken rules, like you need to be bad to change. It's like most of the times when they say you need to change your behavior, it's not normally like you're doing so well and you need to get better. It's normally like coming from a, a judgmental, there's something wrong with you point of view or from a shame, you know, somebody trying to shame you. Let's say, let's say a parent who, and every parent is really doing the best they can. That's what I believe in. And it's not about parent shaming because there is no handbook on being a parent. You know, a child is an individual, the parent comes with their stories. And I think also parenting also brings up a lot of the parents unprocessed issues by, you know, you now have another human being that you're responsible for. And so think about like a, a stressed out, maybe single mom who has two kids and the bigger one is, you know, fighting with the toy because the younger one wants a toy, you know, and the bigger one is like, no, it's mine, you know. And so the small one starts crying and the mom is just so upset. She's been working, she's stressed out and she screams at the first boy and say, what is wrong with you? You need to change that behavior. Shame on you. Don't do, you know, the bigger boy is like, okay, this is my toy. And now I'm getting yelled that and shame on you and I'm being sent to my room go into your room until you change that attitude you know and so the child grows up thinking okay change is associated with shame I'm a bad person so I'm being sent into my room until I change my attitude then I'm going to be accepted back in and for a little child that's really akin to survival you know we are wired to belong we're wired to be part of a community and so for a child to be even just sent to their room it's some kind of a discommunication you know and the child in the room is battling big feelings they're confused because it is my toy why does my little brother have to have it you know nobody's really like gently explaining or the mother at the moment is not able to gently explain to her son why you know she's doing what she and then she's shouting on top of that because she's stressed and then maybe she'll go she'll think like okay she'll go back and say okay come out here you know come and join us but you need to change that you need to be good to your brother and if you don't change you know so that thing of change it, it comes with a negative connotation you know it comes with i'm a bad person and only when i change will i be a good person i'll be accepted again there's a lot of society trying to shame us into changing you know you need to do better you know shame on you you should know better i don't think that really helps us you know or let's say i'm overweight and i want to lose weight and so i'm looking at myself in the mirror and shaming myself look at you, you look like a like a whale, you know, you need to change your eating habits. You need, you need to change, you know, there's something wrong with you. So I'm shaming myself and kind of whipping myself into change. And that normally doesn't go well. <laughs> that 
<laughs> normally doesn't go well because internally we resist that we don't like feeling like we're not good enough or like there's something wrong with us you know and so we might change but it might not be sustainable you know or we'll try out let's say giving back the example or oh, i'm shaming myself into losing weight i might like eat a salad for two days but even when i'm eating it i'm in, internally my whole being is like sitting down and resistant to it you know and then when i come home i eat a whole pack of oreos and then the whole cycle starts again what is wrong with me why can't i change i can't believe it you know and so this cycle continues negative cycle also if i may just add another thing i think that makes change be seen as a negative thing is um the fact that change represents the unknown which in essence represents danger to our brains and our brains are wired to protect us our brains are wired to conserve energy and change automatically means we're going to be doing things differently and the brain thinks okay oh we need more resources and i'm trying to protect my human so we're not going to change because we are we're trying to conserve energy i'm trying to keep you safe we don't know what this new change what is this you're trying to do and so our brains are wired to keep us literally keep us in the status quo because it keeps the energy you know consumption constant and that's basically the you know the brain is wired to help us survive and so on a cellular level we see change as danger the brain sees change as danger literally on a very very subconscious level it starts working against us if especially if we try and bring up too much change at a go like make these radical changes like go big or go home i really don't like that i really hate that go big or go home and i'm an introvert so i'm like hey i'm going home any day what's wrong with home you know but when we try to make these big changes like get out of your comfort zone and shock our systems shock our nervous system into trying to do something it's not sustainable because the brain is really it's it it knows patterns and it takes note of patterns and it's just going to bring you back you know case in point new year resolutions it's going to bring you back to the status quo and then the cycle continues you're going to try and change again and it's going to bring you back and i think that's associated with change you know when we we're creatures of habit you know and we're afraid of the unknown and the fear of failing which is essentially i'm going on my 25th diet and the the last 24 didn't work in fact i got bigger and so i'm completely have an aversion then to this change that i'm trying to do the same old way unless i learn something new and then embrace a different way of doing it which is essentially cooperating with our brains by making little changes that are not perceived as danger to the brain. We can talk about more that later along the conversation. <laughs> it made that just made me think about so much, but um I was going to say that another thing that I've experienced and I've known that other people have experienced when making changes in life is also the shame that comes for you changing. Like mm-hmm. not even it, it's almost like a double-edged sword like you get shamed into changing and then when you get you change you you get shamed for changing like having people say oh you're not the same person anymore as if that's a negative thing or oh you're you know you changed i don't know who you are anymore i don't that you're not the same friend or the same family member or the same person that you used to be who are you i know people who've experienced that i've experienced that but i'm like if you compare it to the seasons next summer won't look like this summer the weather's never the same the sun's never the same you know like the 
the grass may be greener or browner. Okay. So things happen. If you reference it that way, you still you still look forward to the summer. You still look forward to seeing that summer. You still look forward to whatever experiences that's going to bring. So when you look at your friend or your family member or someone who's going through those changes, support them versus shaming them or, you know, guilting them for essentially growing into something better. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. And that's a really, really good one because again, we are creatures of, we're social creatures and change, as you said, can represent the loss of relationships very often. And the way you said, when people look at you and say like, you've changed, it's normally not in a good, like, wow, you've changed, you know, it's normally like almost accusing, like, like you've betrayed me, like how dare you change, you know? How dare you outgrow the version of yourself that I was comfortable with? How dare you want better for yourself? And here's the thing, at the bottom of all that is, how dare you put a mirror to my life? Because by you changing, it reflects me not changing. And I don't like that. I might not be ready for it. Maybe I've tried to change and I didn't. So I'm feeling like you've betrayed me and your change is reflecting something Thing about me that I didn't ask to be shown, which is a very natural human behavior. Again, we are creatures of habit. And when you change, when we change, other people who love us automatically, their relationships either change or they die. So this person who is saying you've changed, it's two ways. It could I be coming from a very subconscious, toxic, you know, like how dare you want better for yourself? How dare you level up and leave me here? We had an unspoken agreement, you know, you're my friend, your family. We had an unspoken agreement. This is the status quo. How dare you change and um, shake things up? You know, how dare you rock the boat, literally. And it could be the negative where they're trying to keep you in your place so that they can continue being comfortable with who they are and with the version of you that they're comfortable with. It could also be a subconscious fear-based reaction like, I'm afraid to lose you. I'm afraid you're no longer going to be my friend. I'm afraid our relationship our unspoken relationship dynamics are gonna change and you might find somebody better than me and literally abandon me. Like it happens a lot, like when one has a partner, the wife maybe levels up, she releases weight, she goes and has a total makeover, her hair's different. She's just like a whole different, beautiful person. And the husband can react two ways. He can either come from an insecure point of, okay, other men are gonna be looking at you. Does that mean I'm no longer good enough for you? Or baby, you know, look at my queen, you know, wow. You know, I, I, they're all gonna be looking at me when I'm walking down with my beautiful queen. So there's two ways. And again, we can only meet people to the level that we've met ourselves. And so that part of changing, it can be very, very isolating, very scary. I like to use the analogy of a caterpillar when it's in there, you know, in the cocoon, it's all by itself you know because even even when you said like family members can support us when we're changing they're really not obliged to and they might not to but if if the bare minimum they can do is at least just don't try and make digs and try and sabotage our change the very bare minimum just let us be in our change you know just observe us if that's a, you know instead of trying to sabotage so a, a caterpillar in a cocoon it's very lonely in there you never see i've never seen two caterpillars in one cocoon it's like every 
cocoon has one caterpillar in there. So like everybody has to go on their own change. And it's a very, can be a very lonely, very isolating, but also a very beautiful moment. I found some of my biggest um, change and growth from a cellular level happened when I was in isolation. Not isolation might be negative, solitude. They happened in solitude. Because then you're quiet. And when we're changing or growing, we're also very vulnerable. So if we put a lot of weight on other people's opinions, it's very easy to kind of like, yeah, maybe, you know, like maybe you're trying to start a business and you're thinking about leaving your job, your nine to five. And then you're telling, you know, it's Thanksgiving and you're talking about and they all just get off. Are you sure about that? That's a little dig. Like, how are you even going to manage? I mean, there's so many businesses out there. How do you even know yours is going to survive? Have you seen the economy? And all these, and by the time you get home, you're thinking, yeah, maybe that's not such a good idea. I mean, this is my family and they love me, right? And they could be trying to protect you. They don't want you to hurt yourself. You know, they don't want you calling and say, can you lend me some money? I haven't paid my rent, you know, because they're family. But they could also be trying to keep you small because nobody's ever done it. They cannot see it for themselves, so they cannot see it for you. Or they could try and say, yeah, you can do that. You can do that. What do you need? You know, let me share your social media page, you know, so you never know how people are going to react to change. And, and we also never know how we're going to react to but one thing is sure it's constant <laughs> it's constant yeah, absolutely it it's constant yeah it is so earlier we were we kind of touched a little bit on performative acts mm. i kind of wanted to circle back around to that and expand on that and the way that i kind of framed it was in in the context of self-care Right. Oh, a lot of ways that we were conditioned, self-care was framed in a more performative way right. versus actually digging in deep and doing the work. Right. So it was like, uh, I, I fix everything on the outside. My hair is perfect. My nails are perfect. I smile. Um, I do what other people around me need me to do so that they can feel comfortable. I kind of reduce myself and I'm small. Mm -hmm. I want to uh, discuss that first and then kind of move into the different seasons that are involved in healing because as we said like it's not it's not a straight line <laughs> so never linear yeah never when we stop being performative with our ex and stop just kind of functioning in these spaces how we can create a more sustainable life mm. so mm. okay where do i start there <laughs> Um, that's a lot. Self-care in the context of change. Here's the thing. First of all, self-care, it's really, it's not about being selfish as we're sometimes shamed into thinking, oh, self-care. So you're going for facials, you know, it's really taking care of yourself. Essentially, like I, I said in a podcast episode, it's essentially putting on your oxygen mask before you try and save the person sitting next to you on the airplane. They always say, please put on your own oxygen mask fast in the case of turbulences. And life is all about turbulences, all about turbulences. You know, we leave the house and we just never know, you know, it's a journey and every journey has its ups and downs. You get a flat tire, there's traffic, there's a car pile up the road is closed it starts whatever you know life is a journey and every journey has you know turbulences and so if we would only start seeing self-care as that concept of i'm putting on my oxygen mask fast 
before I go out and save the world. And in the context of change, you know, like let's keep that idea again of um, you're sitting at the Thanksgiving table with the family and you're talking about you want to start a business. Self-care at that moment might not might be not sharing with them yet what you're up to. They might say, why didn't you tell us? You've been doing things secretly, you know. Oh, you're now this business person. After you've already got things set up, after you've come out of the cocoon, you know, you're not in the, in the very vulnerable state. And so self-care is essentially looking out for yourself and then out of your abundance, going to look out for other people or giving, you know, helping other people or being there for other people. And so when especially when we're changing or when we're growing let's use a synonym you know when we're changing when we're growing we need our resources the brain needs all the resources that we have because this is new you're going against the grain you know the brain is struggling you used to wake up at you know seven o'clock and now you're waking up at five where's this two hours you know so there's a, there's a lot of resistance in there maybe just first of all think okay why am i changing why am i growing what is my big picture vision and how will that affect other people around me. I talk about that a lot in my book, like, you know, having a vision board is not just about fancy cars, pasted on a board and a big mansion. It's also like, who is going to benefit from this change? And if I don't change, who might never benefit? And if we see it that way, then self-care is not selfish because I'm just putting on my oxygen mask first. I'm making my business plan. I'm, you know, getting my things together before I tell my family. And actually, when I do start the business, I might end up employing one of my cousins if she kind of straightens out because sometimes employing family is the biggest mistake you can make. But sometimes, you know, we can end up having a family business, you know, if they have the right mindset. So they might be shooting down the, the, the plan at the moment at the dinner table, but then later, Later on, if I tell them later, this is self-care, I draw back and I take care of my own needs, my vision, while all the while thinking, when I've put on my oxygen mask, who is my neighbor who might not be in a position to put on their own oxygen mask? So in that essence, and self-care is not selfish. And again, because change requires brain, literally brain energy resources. It's okay to first just step back and take care of yourself. You might need a bit more time because starting to build a business is stretching you more than you thought. You're learning all these new things. You're overwhelmed. You're tempted to quit. And you might not be in a position to go out dancing with your girlfriends because you really, you know, Monday you have to present your business idea to a business partner and they don't understand that. So they're like, oh, you're not coming out with us now. Are you not the big business owner? Oh, look at miss you know miss bougie or whatever they will try to call you and self-care is just choosing yourself at that moment knowing it's just temporarily if they cannot deal with that i might really have to just value myself my life the dream god has given me my, the talents that i want to share with the world i might have to value them beyond the approval of my immediate circle and i might really just have to practice that self-care and keep flowing just keep flowing like a river a river is never stopped by a rock <laughs> it's gonna find its way <laughs> it's gonna find its way you know around it i don't know if that answers the question self-care is a really big topic self-care is also about saying no mm -hmm. self-care is about boundaries boundaries with ourselves First of all, because we always think of boundaries like with other people, like, no, you know, here's my boundary. You're not coming any further. What about the boundaries with ourselves when we're changing? Like if you want to wake up at five, a boundary might be, which is self-care. I need to go to bed at nine and not at 12 like I did before because I'm getting up two hours 
earlier. That's an art of a form of self-care and that is boundaries with myself first. You know, it's not always external. I actually think boundaries start with ourselves first, you know. It's not a wall. It's a limit like, okay, this is healthy. This is conducive to my vision and this is not. Like, I cannot give you what I don't have. And also asking for help is self-care. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like some of us who have the trauma response of doing things all, all our own. In the context of change, self-care, it's not just bubble baths and facials and bath bombs. It's learning to look out for yourself. And sometimes that means saying, you know what, I need a mentor. I've never been through, I've never been here before. Previously, I tried to figure things out on my own and I was extremely independent, which was a trauma response. And I brought awareness to that. But now I'm realizing I'm actually sabotaging myself. And it takes a lot of strength and humility to say, I don't know how to do this and it's okay. Because maybe we were shamed when we were young. Like, you should know how to do that and you don't. So you were shamed into learning something and so now you're afraid to make a mistake because you might even, maybe you are even punished, you know? So now you're afraid to ask for help because it shows, I don't know how to do this. And this brings up those old stories, like there's something wrong with me, like I'm defect. So self-care could really be just asking for the support that you need. And if somebody says no, just think, okay, that didn't work out. Maybe they, whatever reason, it's not about me. It doesn't mean like I'm a bad person. I'm not worthy of help. Like learning, okay, maybe I need to ask somebody else. Again, the child falling. When they fall the first time, they don't stay down there and cry for the rest of their 55 years. They get up and they try again. And one time they take off running. You know, seeing life as, as one, like a journey, and like one consistent opportunity to grow. So if this person said no, I'll feel bad about it because it took a lot of a lot of courage to ask for help. And they said no. So my biggest fears have been con confirmed. I could sit with that for a while and, and actually, you know, grieve that. That that hard, that feels painful. Like, but I could also tell my brain, okay, yes, that didn't go too well. But guess what else happened? You actually asked for help and you couldn't do that before. Yay! You know, celebrate that as well. The brain is like, what if we try again and it doesn't work? Which is normal. Our brains are wired to protect us. But you can also say, yeah, but what if it works? Because that completely changes and the brain loves a question. When we ask ourselves a question, the brain is out looking for answers on a very subconscious level. So what if it doesn't work? Mm, journal about it worst case scenario but then flip the script what if it works and then move from there so that way you're like okay it could go both ways either way i'll be fine and here's the faith element god help me mm -hmm. <laughs> if that didn't work out maybe that was not the right person for whatever reason or it just wasn't supposed to be but i know there's going to be somebody out there who's going to help me and it's okay that's also self-care does that answer the question? It does. And and you um, speaking made me like think about two things under uh, change under the context of self-care. And one, while you were speaking, I was thinking about like how my coach in the beginning was a faith-based life coach. And she told me, Julie, the most important thing that you can do for yourself right now is keep things between you and God. She was like, everything that you're doing don't talk to people about it. She told me not even talk to my husband about it. And she was like, it's just like, not that you're hiding from him, yeah. but his job as your husband is to protect you. Yes. And she was like, it's going to get a little grainy here. And mm -hmm. if you tell him out of his need and out of his duty to protect you, 
he may mm-hmm. talk you out of it. Yeah. And she was like, so like the only voice that you need to be listening to right now is the voice of God. And she was like, and you need to do your work. So that stuck with me. That that always sticks with me, especially when I'm going through things like um, I wanted to write a book. I told my husband like when it was finished, um, like, or I'm going to do these things. Like I'll talk to some of my closest friends after the fact, because I know like they love me, but out of where they are and where I'm trying to go, it's not like the best time to have certain discussions. So I just keep things between me and God. And that is a big part of change and self-care for me. Love it. Absolutely love it. You know, they, they, they call it sometimes they're moving in silence. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm a big fan of it now. On the other side, I think the fact that change can also be very isolating and very scary. You know, you want to keep it between you and God. And sometimes I'm like, God, please send me somebody, you know, send me like um, like Nehemiah. There was like Tobias and Sanballat. Okay, I'm getting the Bible now. There, there are some people who are like sabotaging him. But then we also need helpers. Like in the Bible, Mary, when the angel came and spoke to her, the Bible says she kept those things to herself, you know. She pondered and kept those things to herself. On the other side, Elizabeth, the mother of, of Jesus, you know, she went to meet with Mary and they shared about, they were both pregnant. They shared about, you know, this change. And so it just goes to show that sometimes we need divine, like destiny helpers. It can be challenging to follow through on something and we all need some kind of support. And I'm all for moving in silence and keeping it between me and God. But I also have not but and I'll sometimes say, God, I really need just someone to bounce this off. And I just need some encouragement. I might listen to a podcast. I might, you know, join like an online conversation. I might call up maybe a friend, you know, and say, hey, um, not my immediate friend. You know, sometimes it's good to ask God for like a human being, like a real person who, you know, sometimes will just encourage us, you know, just exhort us. And and sometimes people can see things in us and gifts in us and potential that we don't see in ourselves. There's a, an African saying that says, if you want to go far fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. It's a very thin, delicate thing. Like, okay, who can I share it? When can I share it? Sometimes it's really like when I'm, a woman is pregnant, she might not tell everybody about it. She's going to, but when it starts showing and she's like, yeah, I'm expecting, you know, so sometimes it's like, when can I share? And like you said, sometimes it's just between you and God, especially in the early stages. And then who can I share it with? Because even sometimes your mentor might even be in direct competition with you. You might have bigger dreams than this mentor. I keep saying people can only meet you to the extent that they've met themselves. And sometimes a mentor might have seen this version of you. They can help you get there. But then you have a bigger version. And because they're not sure that they're they're insecure, they can actually help you get there they also kind of make you feel insecure if you can actually get there. So I'm very cautious about who I share also with and why I'm sharing. I might say, hey, I just need to bounce this off you. You know, how are you navigating change these days? And based on what the person answers me, I'll be able to see, okay, can I open up and also like, really, we can have an enriching conversation or is it going to be like on a shallow, like, let me impress you with who I am kind of stuff, you know? So that's uh, another. And I think self-care really is also surrounding ourselves with people who are destiny helpers. 
really because we're not lone rangers nobody is and um anything significant takes more than one person even if the other person is completely in the background we never hear about them but there's always and even if it's just jesus <laughs> there's always somebody else <laughs> yeah that that was like my big thing and my my second self-care and change um was i don't know if you've had those friends that um call you to like just vent oh julie i call it trauma dumping yeah yeah so the i learned for me because i was i was i'm not gonna act like I, i haven't done it either but i learned not to do it to ask all right is it okay if i vent or they say, hey, I need to vent. But also now when people call, if I don't have the capacity that day, maybe I had a busy day with the kids and, you know, with work and I have a lot going on, like, and I only have a small bit of energy reserved to get through the rest of the day. I'll say, hey, this is a part of my self-care, my changing, not, even when I know I'm low, not taking on your stuff. And it's not that I don't love you. It's not like I don't want the best for you, but I can't I do can't that right now. Nice. We'll have to talk, about, talk another about another day. Love it. Absolutely. Love it. Beautiful. Self-care. Boundaries. Mm. Boundaries and um, really being good stewards of our energy because time and energy, they are like finite resources. You know, you only have so much. If you're the person, let me let me speak for myself. If I was the person who would always like from a codependent people pleaser kind of fixer and being there for everybody personality, which I've, I'm completely changing out of. I've, I mean, I haven't arrived, but I've definitely left. I also like say, do I need to listen to this right now? Am I the right person? And why is this person coming to me? Is it because they know like they can vent to me like for 30 minutes and say, hey, it was great talking to you. Bye. And I'm like, you just did the talking for 30 minutes. I didn't get a word in and I'm not blaming them. I realized like if you're listening, you're like, yes. And then you're co completely going into the person's thing and affirming it. You know, sometimes you're like, can I, can I share about, you know, I, I want to talk about me and I want to talk about what's going on now. Do you have the time, you know, like, where is this conversation going? And so I completely resonate with what you said. Um, it takes a lot of courage to tell somebody, Hey, I can't listen to your story right now. <laughs> I'll give an example back, you know, years back when I had the bookshop, you know, people, it was a Christian bookshop too. I had English and German books. So of course, in a Christian bookshop, people will come in and they want to talk about God and they want to talk about why they're angry with him and what's happening and why is God. And it was literally like canceling or like one-stop shop. Like, you know, I, I need a book, but let me tell you about this, you know, and it was a small one. So it was very kind of like the shop in the corner where, you know, the owner and you go and have like conversations. And I would encourage them because, you know, I was also in my people-pleasing mode back then. And I remember once over the weekend, I arranged like a picnic and, uh, you know, invited some people from, from church and, and we, were, we were going to the, the place where we we're going to do the grilling. And this friend, she was very precious, very dear. That relationship kind of just outgrew. But then, you know, she started talking. I'm like, okay, let's first get to the grill place. And once we had set up everything, here she comes and she starts telling. And I just told her, you know, I don't have time for your long stories right now. And she was so offended. Her face changed. 
she was the whole she was like sulking you know and i probably didn't say it in a loving way you know i think i just had enough i just want to have a picnic and i don't want to hear anything about anybody and she was my friend i could have said it differently in hindsight now i could think and you know like the way you say i don't have the energy i don't have the capacity right now can you talk to somebody else or can we talk about this i just i don't have time for your long stories literally and it took a while you know there was a rapture it took a while to kind of repair that and then i was feeling guilty like but now in hindsight I know better now. I would very gently put the boundaries and and we had to learn. I had to kind of say like you're always talking 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 and then you're like okay bye and I'm left there with all this stuff, you know, that you've offloaded on me and I didn't get to share. So you kind of get resentful, but it was my fault too. I didn't know how to ask for what I want and to say this is not working for me right now. I don't have the capacity for that. But it can be scary because people can can sulk, they cannot call again and try and put us on punishment, you know, I've had that too. Like, oh, you're not going to listen to my story. I'm not going to call you for the next week. And when you call, I'm not going to pick up the phone. So this passive aggressive behavior and with such relationships I've learned I'm like, "Bye, Felicia." <laughs> I you know, I've grown enough to know that it is toxic. If you're going to put me on punishment because I'm not, you know, like uh, doing what you want me to do. Clearly this relationship is not okay and I'm out. Mm -hmm. So you've done me a favor by walking out. See you. Mm -hmm. You know. And and sometimes when it works I'm like, okay, just save myself some uncomfortable conversations because people will show you who they are. And the next time you show up in my life again like 3 months later trying the same thing because sometimes toxic people will try that. They like show up and try again and see if you've learned the lesson. did my punishment work and if you hold your ground either you will lose that person for good because they go look for somebody else to manipulate or they might realize wait there's something going on here maybe i do need to we do need to make this friendship like balanced you know that actually brings me to what we what we leave behind mm-hmm. um and there actually being grief associated with that not only with us when we change i don't think people understand that like there's a grief process or they they go through it but they may not a- actually know what it is what they're going through and there's actually a grief period in change where you for me i grieved the person that i was leaving behind i grieved all the things that happened to me as a child and i grieved a lot of relationships because when i was this extremely toxic broken person i had a lot of friends i had a Me lot too. of friends <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness that is so true julie that is, but are they really friends or are they like well i learned they were people that i shared trauma bonds with Thank so you. i had a peer group full of um people that were in trauma the same as I was so we kind of yes man if you will each other's behavior we encouraged it we supported it and there was no accountability amongst those groups we Me just really loved company mm-hmm. yeah yeah and that, that's exactly what it was and so mm-hmm. when i started coming out of it i lost so many people and i that was hard for me because there was a point where i was you know involved in especially being in entertainment i was involved in so many different social groups and there were so many different things to do there were so many distractions okay mm-hmm. 
So like I, I had to like say goodbye to all of that. I'm, I'm really enjoying this conversation. And not only am I nodding like externally, but I'm nodding internally. Like the first time I had your podcast, you know, the beauty we bring, I was like nodding, you know, and the, there's a nodding of yes. And then there's the inside nodding where you're relating on such a deep level. It's like, ah, this is so, um, what's the word? It's so affirming, you know, to realize like, hey, there's nothing wrong with me. And there's other people that go through this and this is normal. Because the thing about change is sometimes we, we think like we're the only ones who are not handling it well or struggling with it or having a tough time but you know we're humanity and, and the bible says there's nothing new under the sun you know but sometimes just hearing somebody else verbalize something that you've been through maybe it never had the space to be seen or to be acknowledged can just be so healing you know so i'm loving this conversation your question was uh oh now i'm <laughs> getting you know kind of like emotional grieving the relationships and grieving grieving change exactly ah oh. The butterfly never goes back into the caterpillar cocoon, never. It cannot, because it cannot fit in there. It grows wings, you know, a cocoon is like ugly. It's just the gooey stuff in there, you know, it's just like a mucky mass of something. Not, a caterpillar is not beautiful compared to a butterfly. You know, butterfly is intricate and it's just this beautiful thing that just fascinates us. The fact that a butterfly cannot it cannot go back into the cocoon and kind of be a cocoon forbidden and then come out and be a butterfly again. I think that's the pain of change sometimes where we grieve that we're never going back to once, you know, when the change is really like from a cellular level where we acknowledge like, yeah, I've outgrown this pair of shoes, let's say like a child. It's a beautiful pair of shoes and it was expensive and ah, uh, but my foot has outgrown it, you know. And the, so there's that pain of, I love this shoe, it was comfortable, it fit well, you know, I'd broken into it, I could walk long and now I have to wear these new shoes that feel very uncomfortable and I don't even know if I like them and they're not as cool as the other ones I had. And so grieving the things we leave behind, you said it well, we grieve the person we were because we knew that person, we had friends, we had routines. It was comfortable, that was us. And now we are becoming this other person that we don't know. Will I get new friends? Will they accept the new me? Will I like the new me? <laughs> you know, I don't even know this new me. You know, am I, am I okay with myself, you know? And, and that pain of realizing I cannot move forward if I keep looking backwards. At some point, I'm going to have to like just set my face like flint and just keep pressing forth. And that's painful. That's painful because when we lose people that we love, lose, let's say, relationships just don't grow with us. We're social creatures, you know, who doesn't want to have a friend? And some of these friendships, we could have had them like for years, you told, you know, trauma bonding, told our deepest, darkest secrets, you know, and now you're living, I'm living a part of me with this part of my life. That's what it feels like, you know, but if we can't even think, no, we're actually taking that with us, like the caterpillar, uh, sorry, the butterfly still has that cocoon shape. The middle part of a butterfly is that cocoon, you know, the part where the wings grow out of. So it doesn't completely leave its cocoon self. It takes it, it integrates the cocoon, but then it grows like wings and it flies, you know. And so the pain of grieving 
who we were and also who we never got to be. That's something I learned when I started doing my trauma healing. It's not just healing the, the, the pain and, and recognizing it and affirming it and seeing it and, and also grieving what was done, but also what was not done. You know, maybe the neglect. I should have been in a safe, it should have been, a child should have been in a safe surrounding. I was not intended to be taking care of everybody else. I was not intended to be trying to comfort my mother at the age of five because, you know, they had just had a, a violent altercation with my dad and I was trying to tell her everything's going to be okay, but I was scared as a child too. You know, I remember that and, and grieving that too, that little girl that never got the comfort and the reassurance, but instead had to try and comfort the mom like you 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 know you're okay because if she stops crying then i kind of feel safe so i'm okay but it's supposed to be the other way around so i think there's that grieving of what we never had which can be the hardest because we don't know what we don't know and we don't know what that feels like and grieving that i may actually never i could give myself a sense of safety now i could affirm myself which i do but just grieving the fact that as the five-year-old then, I never got what would have, should have been normal. And I'll never get it as a five-year-old, you know. Now I'm old enough. I can give myself that. But I'm not the five-year-old. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I think grieving that too in the context of change is um, leaving behind or saying goodbye to who we were, the people, especially the people. That is so, that really hurts it also. It also hurts me, the people I've had to leave behind, even not, sometimes not even physically, but emotionally, where we're not communicating on the same level. I still see you, we still say hi, but I've outgrown that part of me and the new part of me cannot relate we're not relating and it's very it's a very lonely place to be very uncomfortable having to grieve that you know and still think but it's okay it's what this change is worth it this growth it, it's just it's consistent and i'm going to embrace it despite the pain i'm i'm not going to turn back and try and fit into the cocoon again because this is painful i'm not going to try and fit into the size four and i'm a size six shoe now <laughs> you know because sometimes pain you just have to feel it you have to sit through it like they say you have to feel it to heal it and a lot of journaling and then like looking at it from a growth mindset like okay how do we reintegrate all that and how do we see it from a, pos a positive um, perspective like in the trauma while they say post-traumatic growth syndrome you know like what have I learned what am I taking with me and how can I share that so that you know what was pain becomes like a pearl like you know a pearl uh, or even like a diamond this uh, a pearl is like it has to first of all it's like that a pearl is like that in a shell you know and then it becomes this beautiful pearl so how can I take that, you know, pain and, and make it into purpose in some way? Because it's bigger than me. Our lives are not just all about us. You know, we're part of a bigger picture. How does this fit into God's eternal plan for my life and for other people who are not just coincidences along our path, you know? So taking that pain and um, 
trusting God to to make something out of it and having this divine exchange. There's a verse I love so much. He gives beautiful ashes. You know, he's going to turn our mourning into dancing. There's a whole exchange. I think it's Isaiah. And I love that, you know, like beautiful ashes. I've literally like written letters and burnt them and they're ashes. And I'm like, okay, God, I'm giving you these ashes and I'm embracing your beauty. You know, I'm letting go of this. I'm grieving this, but I'm also embracing something else. You know, so that we're not stuck in that pain loop of, of it being negative, you know, because grief can be, it can also become like delayed grief where it, then we get stuck in a, an emotional state that's not healthy, you know. So affirming the pain, yes, and also slowly kind of seeing beyond that post-traumatic growth syndrome, like, okay, what is the, what's, what's ahead? Because it's beautiful. <laughs> Whatever it, you need to have, we need to have a compelling vision of what's ahead because otherwise we could get so stuck in grieving what never was. And then we're kind of just stirring that pot, you know, and get stuck in there. And then it becomes unhealthy. It becomes like, like navel gazing, you know, weeks on end, just be talking about this five-year-old, you know, I think, okay, like w what came out of that? You know, is there something good that came out of that? God, can you use something? Is there something out of that that is a blessing to me and a blessing to other people? If I don't see it, I'm just going to trust that there's something. <laughs> I have a lot of questions to ask me at one point, so I don't have all the answers. And he definitely hasn't answered all my questions. I have a lot of questions, a lot, a lot of things that I don't understand. But that doesn't stop me from embracing the change process because it's consistent. The opposite, what's the opposite? You know, it's like when someone says, oh, you've grown old. What is your better uh, option to growing old? Dying, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so like this, you know, what, what's the option? Yes, a lot of pain, but what is the, what would have been the alternative? I survived all that. And there's some beauty to be found in that. There's always beauty in ashes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, grieving. Ouch. It's not very pleasant, but it's part of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it definitely is. Before I um, ask you the big show question, <laughs> mm -hmm. I'll, I'll share. I, in a part of my grief uh, process, one thing that I found myself doing my entire life was I was pursuing my mother for a relationship that she just was never going to be capable of giving me. The relationship that we had as a child, that I need, what I needed as a child, I never got. And then as an adult, I spent a long time pursuing mm. her, begging her, pleasing mm. her to try to get something from her that she just wasn't capable of giving me. So I became a mom. And I told myself that everything that I always wanted and pursued. I'm going to become that and give that to my children. Mm. So I'm getting those things now, just not from her. I'm getting them for me and I'm giving them to my children. So mm. that was how I grieved those things, but then how I changed those things and applied them to my life so that my kids never have to understand what that feels like. Mm. So, and that's, that's kind of how I changed that and I turned that around. And that's also how I got through that process because I was stuck in a loop mm. for a really long time. And I would like go no contact, let her back in, go no contact, let her back in because I had this constant need of 
Like, I mean, it's your mom. <laughs> it's natural, I believe. So I had this constant need of wanting something from her that I had to understand. She just wasn't capable of giving. Mm -hmm. And now I give all those things to my boys. All of it. And they're amazing. So I will ask you. <laughs> First, let me just say, like, I thank you. This conversation. Oh, I don't want to get it. Oh, hang on. <laughs> Thank you for this conversation because it was really amazing. I loved every single minute of it. And I want to ask, uh, what does selective hearing mean to you? Mm. First of all, um, let me just say, I'm so sorry that you didn't get the, the mothering that you would have needed. You know, it, it, it's it's not a light thing because nature is so important, you know. And when you think about it, we are a mother and a daughter or a mother and a son relationship is, is a bit different to the father because we're literally a part of them and they're a part of us, you know, like we came out of their bodies, like how close can you get to somebody? And so I'm really sorry about that. And I can relate, although on a, a bit of a different level, but I can relate to trying to get something from a mother who is not able to give that, you know. With my mother, it was a bit different, but it, it's a mother wound, essentially. You know, first I had the father wound, and then I discovered the mother wound, like, oh, Lord, does this ever end, you know? <laughs> but awareness is the beginning to everything, because when we realize some of these things that we never got, like I said before, grieving what we never got, then we are empowered, like you, to kind of take the story, take possession of the story and rewrite and reframe the narrative and essentially not have this intergenerational trauma of passing on dysfunctional behaviors by default. So I think it's beautiful when we um, not digging to kind of get dirt and kind of just get stuck in the loop, but to look at things and say, okay, this didn't work. It wasn't working, didn't work for me. Okay, what can I do about it now? How can I this story changes with me because sometimes our mothers are just giving what they had. You can't give what you don't have or what you don't even know that you don't have, you know. And so sometimes we're just acting out of this is this is the way we've always done it. This is the way I know it. And so I'm passing that on. And that is very often in families where this dysfunctional behavior, some people call them generational curses. They're really dysfunctional mindsets and dysfunctional um, ways of, of seeing life. Until somebody says, this stops with me. And I'm, I, I'm so proud of you and really glad that you, you turn that around and, and you're, you know, not passing that on to your children, you know, and in essence, also healing yourself, healing your mother wound. So that's really beautiful. And I'm really sorry that you didn't get what you, you needed. And um, thanks for sharing that. Now your question, uh, the question was, how do I define selective hearing? Selective hearing for yourself, yes. At this point in my life, at this point in my life, selective hearing is choosing intentionally to listen or tune in to the affirmative voice of my creator, the loving affirmative voice that reveals my identity to me. 
So my identity is not in performing. It's not in caretaking. I don't have to take care of God. I don't have to earn his love. Like the lady that where I was triggered, like I have to perform to get love. He just loves us because we are. And at this point in my life, that is really, I'm very, maybe that's why that podcast also like, because I'm very, you know, the Bible says, guard your heart for out of it, for the issues of life. And, you know, things come into hearts from hearing, from seeing, from experiencing. And hearing is a very, very, very underestimated um gateway into our hearts you know so i'm very cautious even when i'm listening it doesn't mean they're bad it just maybe at this point it's the focus of being rooted in the identity of being a loved daughter of the most high and that is my identity and that's where i'm grounded and rooted in that's the voice I'm choosing to listen. And, and sometimes the critical voice will come or I'll find myself like, what is wrong with you? Like I stop saying like, what is wrong? And I'm like, where did I hear that first? You know, there's nothing wrong with me. I must have had that from somebody. And now I'm like, okay, what happened to you? It's not what is wrong with you. It's like, what happened to you? And recognizing that some of those voices, accusing voices, you're not good enough. You have to perform, you you know, you have to put on a mask, you know, you have to show everybody like black families, like we don't share our business, you know. So you have to kind of look like everything's fine and don't talk about things about family. And to realize like those voices were my caretakers, maybe they were teachers, maybe they were partners and just choosing to internally change that script and say but what does god say you know sometimes i have to say like god help me to see myself through your eyes and help me to see myself through your eyes you know help me to see you as you are but help me to see me through your eyes you know and then ultimately see the world through those eyes so selective hearing in a nutshell this season in my life is intentionally very intentionally choosing to seek out and listen like lean in to the affirmative loving god a loving voice of god which is demonstrated through jesus <laughs> that is selective hearing and everything else i kind of filter everything through that lens through the lens of i'm affirmed and i'm loved and so every other voice I'm going to filter it through that, including sometimes what I tell myself, I'm going to filter that. Like, is that really true? Like questioning, you know, those voices and those stories. That's selective hearing for me at this point. <laughs> That's absolutely beautiful. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. Um, can you share with the listeners your, your um, social media or your website so if anyone out there wants to connect with you they can reach out to you absolutely okay so social media all my handles are first of all thank you so much for having me. this was a beautiful conversation i enjoyed it so much you know it's it just like a bouncing off it was beautiful very very um, it was a joy to be here so thanks for having me and i like your podcast like i listened to some episodes before and like i said i was nodding so it feels really good to be on this side you know being able to have a conversation so all my social media handles are ednaga social that's n-a-g-a and then social i'm active on linkedin um, instagram and facebook those are the places where i'm mainly linkedin and instagram and facebook so it's all at naga social and then um, my website would be naga consulting so naga consulting and i would love to like if your listeners want like 
one of the things that helps with change is having a compelling vision of ourselves. And so I have like a chapter of my book, Vision Boarding, how to activate your dreams. They can get it if they visit my website, um, nagaconsulting.com. There'll be a place somewhere there where they can download it. Yes. And I always post um, all this information in the show details mm-hmm. and newly added to my website, I have a resource page. So if you head over to the resource page, you can also find all of this information. And all you have to do is just click the button and it'll take you directly to the website as well. You're very welcome. And thank you for being here. And everyone, I will be back next week. So until next time, this is Select a Period. Mm.